I'm Jeff Cohen. The journey to Jewish observance is not always a one-way street. Today's guest, Corey Kleiman, actually became from twice. Wondering how that's possible? Me too. So that's why we've got Corey here today to share his story. Corey, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Hi, Jeff. Good to be here. So this is a record holder of someone who's going to show how they became religious, then maybe not in the back, all in a one-hour <laughs> interview. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I guess you could say that. So let's get started on some questions, learn a little bit about your background. Even before we get to you, can you give me a sense of your parents, your grandparents, like where they came from and what they were doing religiously? Sure. So my grandparents and my parents were living in Brooklyn, and they were living more of a conservative, I guess you could say, lifestyle. They went to conservative synagogue. My mother and father uh, were both active, I guess you could say, in the synagogue. My grandfather on my father's side was the synagogue president. My mother worked in the synagogue in Brooklyn. So it was a conservative, conservatox upbringing for my parents. Yeah, but you were not raised in the New York area, so something must have happened, right? You ended up going out west where you were initially being born and raised? Yeah, so I was actually born in Brooklyn, in Sheepshead Bay, uh, but my father did not want to stay in New York. He wanted to leave. Actually, he wanted to go to Billings, Montana, Wow. Um, yeah. And my mother did not want to go to Billings, Montana. <laughs> yeah. My mother had family in Sacramento, California, and she convinced my father that uh, they should, if they're going to leave New York, they should go to Sacramento, California. And that's uh, where we ended up going. So the three of us moved there when I was one years old. All right. So given what you said about your parents from a Jewish perspective, how were they raising you initially? What was your family like and what kind of Jewish customs were you doing inside the home? We really weren't doing anything for a while. My mother uh, was always more, uh, I guess, holding on to uh, the religion than my father. And she was the one who kind of was pushing me more towards a Jewish life, I guess you could say. At some point, my mother wanted to start going to a synagogue, and my father agreed that they could go to the Reform Synagogue in Sacramento. And very slowly, we just kind of started getting more involved, but in the Reform Synagogue over there. So, But it involved just going once in a while, I think at the beginning, just on the Yamim Noraim, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Eventually, my mother started to light Shabbos candles again in her married life at home. So it was just very, very minor things, I guess you could say, that we were doing on a reform level. And you mentioned before we did the interview that you actually have a cute story about Shabbos candles when you were a kid. Can you share that story? Sure, yeah. We took a uh, family trip to Israel when I was, I want to say, about seven or eight years old. We stayed with my family in Israel that was religious, and when they lit Shabbos candles Friday night, I didn't know what was going on this before we started lighting them. I had really never seen anything like that before, and I started singing Happy Birthday. thought it was somebody's <laughs> birthday. That's, that's when you light candles. So, yeah, it was pretty far removed from anything really religious, I guess you could say. That is a great story because it really shows when someone is starting at the beginning, and that's like where I started. Like, when you don't know things, you just don't know them. So it's like perfectly reasonable that you're seeing candles and thinking it must be a birthday party. Yeah. Okay, so you talked about going to a reform shul. So around what age is this, and are you connecting to it? How are you feeling about it? I want to say this was around 8 to 10 years old. Eventually, my parents split, and I started going to the reform shul a little bit more often with my mother. One year on on the Yamim Noraim, we went, and they were playing the bongo drums, on Rosh Hashanah, and my mother and I walked out, and this is very much not how my mother was raised, and it seemed very foreign to me, even as a uh, as a 10, 11-year-old. There was just something in me that said, I don't, I don't know about this, and I asked my mother if we could try the conservative synagogue, and she said yes. I think she was kind of hoping for something like that at some point, and we went to the conservative synagogue kind of going forward. 
So was your mom the one, I think you just said before, kind of pushing more of the Judaism stuff. So the fact that your parents separated that time, did that, that opened up kind of the ability to explore Judaism a little bit more? Is there a connection there or no? Looking back, I think so. When I was going through it, I didn't really see anything. But as I've kind of gone through this journey, looking back, I do think that a combination of the separation and my mother kind of pushing this Jewish life for me definitely made a large impact, I would say. And so how are you feeling now that you're in a conservative shul? Like you talked about the reform one not quite feeling like home. Are you feeling like you're in the right place as you get more involved with the conservative shul? Yeah, definitely better. There was still parts of it that I felt didn't necessarily seem right to me. And I went to, my mother had also pushed for me to go to the Jewish day school in Sacramento at the time it was called uh, Shalom School. And there was, there's a very, very small Jewish community in Sacramento, but all the Jewish kids went to this Jewish day school, even though it was a mix of reform through Orthodox uh, students attending. But a lot of my friends were Orthodox. I would say about half my class of eight kids, you know, was, uh, was Orthodox. So I started to get a little bit more involved in their life, and I got a little bit more involved in Orthodox customs to the point where I I wanted to start going to the Orthodox synagogue, the Orthodox shul. It it seemed a little bit more, I guess you could say, authentic to me, and I I was drawn to that. So the school you were going to, you switched from public school to a day school that was like an Orthodox day school, even though it was had all different levels? It was being run as if it was an Orthodox day school? My parents had actually put me in private school because they didn't like the public school in the neighborhood. So I had switched from the private school to this Jewish day school. And the rabbi who ran it was Orthodox. A lot of the teachers were Orthodox. But I don't remember being taught very Orthodox things, I guess you could say. We learned about like challah and like, you know, different Shabbos candles, things like that. Um, I don't know if you'd call those cultural Jewish things, but not a lot of like, you know, halachos and like real like, you know, laws of, of being Jewish and things like that. They were catering to a very wide range of, uh, of students there and families. Um, so it was run, I, I would say, by a lot of adults of the Orthodox community, uh, but the curriculum I don't think was particularly Orthodox. But were you young enough that it gave you a good foundation in learning how to read from the Siddur, read Hebrew, you know, the different things that maybe as an adult you'd want to have that foundation to make it easier for you. They taught me to read Hebrew, but they didn't teach me really a lot of prayers. I remember around the time that we had switched to the conservative synagogue, as I was getting more into Judaism, I was. I remember on Chavez, I would sit in my room after my mother and I would go to, to this conservative synagogue. I would sit in my room and I would just practice the benching, I was taught Hebrew, but I wasn't, again, I wasn't taught the prayers. So I was just, I would just sit and practice the benching, like break my teeth over it just over and over and over again. And Kiddush Shabbos morning, I would just sit in my, my room. I remember at my desk, just saying Kiddush over and over and over again until, you know, months went by and I got it down. So it gave me, I would say, very light foundation. And I really kind of pushed myself into certain things. It's actually impressive that you had this self-drive to learn those things. What do you think was inside of you making you want to do that? I don't know. It's hard to say. I just, every, this is a common theme throughout, I think, my journey, that everything that I was doing, I was just searching for more authenticity, I guess you could say. I just, I felt drawn to certain things uh, in this search for truth. And I just, when I found something, I just latched on and I just, I had to do it. 
So you then are having a conversation with your mom about switching from the conservative shul to the orthodox one? Are you now going there regularly? Are you starting to take on more things about living an observant life, or you're just getting educated on this stuff? So I learned some of these things, like about kashras and tzitzis, a little bit more about Shabbos, through my friends mostly, and attending the orthodox synagogue more often. But for the most part, we were still attending the conservative synagogue. I was bar mitzvahed at the conservative synagogue, and... It was right after my bar mitzvah that I kind of came to my mother and I said, I think we need to make a change. I want to start taking on more. And we kind of decided that that was going to be very difficult to do in Sacramento. In Sacramento, there was one kosher little market with a little deli. There was one kosher caterer. That was about it, besides for, you know, buying some things at Trader Joe's or whatever whatever it was. That was about it. So we felt like it was, if we really wanted to take the plunge towards the next step, it was going to be very difficult to do in Sacramento, and we started looking to leave. Is your dad back in New York at this point, or he had stayed in California? My father actually still lives in Sacramento. I have a wonderful relationship with him, but he, he has stayed in Sacramento this whole time. So what happens at that point? You are finishing, what, middle school when you decide to relocate back to New York, or what age are you? I was 13, so this was right after my bar mitzvah, and my mother had gotten a job offer, I believe, in Seattle, and I think also in, in San Luis Obispo in Southern California. She was mulling over the uh, uh, the decision, but she has a brother, my uncle, um, and family living in the five towns in New York, and we decided if we we're going to make this move, it made sense to, to go back to where there was family. So that was kind of the direction that we, we started to go in. So to this point, I haven't heard you say anything about siblings, because I was wondering... How would a brother or sister be taking all this interest you're taking in Judaism, unless you're an only child? Yes, I am an only child. Uh, it was just me uh, throughout all this. I, that probably made it a little bit easier to push in the directions that I wanted to go. But yes, I'm an only child, so I didn't really have to be concerned with you know, a brother or a sister wanting, trying to tag along or not, not tag along with us. And so you move back to New York, and now you're in like the full infrastructure, right? I guess you go to a, like a yeshiva-type high school, and you're living in a community where you can walk to shul. Are you, you checking all the boxes at this point? Yeah, we flew in, basically. It was in Adar, the week before or after Purim. Um, and I bring up it's Adar because it's, it's um, generally we say that's a time of mazel for Klal Yisrael. So um, it was in Adar, and we flew in for a week. I had an interview at the Hebrew Academy of Nassau County at Hank, where I ended up going. But I basically all I could do was read Hebrew. But they were gracious enough uh, to accept me that week. And my mother had also uh, interviewed at a few places, and she got a job, and we signed a lease on a on a house in West Hempstead, uh, Long Island, and all in one week. And when we came back to Sacramento, my mother had an offer on her condo that she was looking to sell so we could move. So it really happened very quickly. And yeah, I basically had everything at my disposal in terms of wanting to live uh, from life, but I really didn't know how to. Right. So how did you now get that education? I'm thinking you're going into this ninth grade class, and it's probably mostly kids that grew up with this, like from the beginning. Do you feel like an outsider, like you're able to keep up with what they're doing? And the the second part of that is, how does that translate to what you and your mom are going to now do within the home? So when I started at Hank, I started in eighth grade, and I remember sitting in Chumash class, and my Rebbe in Chumash class said that we needed to, for homework, we needed to learn this Rashi on a certain pasuk, a certain verse. And I went home and I like, I really studied with the art scroll, you know, Rashi. I barely knew how to read Rashi. 
And I remember I came back the next day or a few days later, and he said, you know, does anybody want to show that they can read this Rashi? And I was the only one who volunteered. Um, out of all these people who presumably grew up religious, and we were in eighth grade, most of these people had been bar mitzvah already too. I read the Rashi well. He said, great job, whatever it was. Um, and that was the, the first point where I said, oh, maybe I can do this. So the first Shabbos I ever, that my mother and I really ever kept was our first Shabbos in West Hempstead. And when I say kept, I really didn't know what I was doing, but, you mm-hmm. know, conceptually kept. I remember going to, to the Young Israel of West Hempstead that Friday, that first Friday night and just not knowing where to sit and not knowing there's two levels. From the Orthodox synagogue in Sacramento, I knew that men and women didn't sit together, but this was set up differently. I didn't really know what to do exactly. And it was, it was a learning process. So you talked about having the first Shabbos with your mom and you don't know exactly what you're doing. How did, your, how did you get that education to figure out how you do a proper Shabbos? Uh, Hank taught me a lot. My friends taught me a lot. I got involved with NCSY. NCSY taught me a lot. And I kind of, you know, the phrase, you fake it till you make it. For a lot of things, I really didn't know what I was doing. This is something I think common that Bali Chuba run into their whole life. Well, somebody will say a Hebrew phrase or a Yiddish phrase, and then you're like, what was that? <laughs> just a concept that you've never heard of before. Uh, and then, you know, I just kind of rolled with the punches and went along with it. And, and I learned and, and I, some of it, I taught myself some of it, you know, I was honest with, with my friends. I, I didn't know certain things and everybody was very uh, accepting and, and willing to teach me. And I learned over time, I moved there in eighth grade. And by the time I had finished high school, I felt like I had a, you know, I was a regular from modern Orthodox kid. So do you then take the next step and go to Israel post-graduation? Yes, I went to Israel. I actually, my mother and I had a debate, dispute as to which yeshiva I should go to. And I ended up in neither. I ended up in a compromise a yeshiva. I went to OJ um, or Yerushalayim for two years after Hank. And so what happened in terms of your religious growth from like where you were at the point you graduated high school through those two years? I guess you could say I... Uh, flipped out, if you will. Uh, I went very to the right. I very much identified with Haredi Judaism. And again, I think it comes back to this search for authenticity and this search for truth that when I was introduced to that type of lifestyle and how serious that hashkafa is and how passionate they are, I guess, that, that they take Judaism and customs and laws, I just clung on to it. I said, this is amazing. And I couldn't get enough of it. It was very quick for me. I, I think halfway through my first year, I, I started to really kind of turn myself over and evaluate what I wanted, and I jumped right into Haredi Judaism. So do you come back looking like a different kid than when you left? Are you dressing differently, black hat? Like, what, what are you doing? Yeah, black hat, you know, black and white. And I wanted to stay longer in Israel. My mother very much wanted me to go to college and get an education, which I agreed was important. But my plan all along was, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to go to graduate school even, and then I'm going right back to yeshiva in Israel. And that's what I'm doing indefinitely. That was always my plan from the moment that I left Israel. So was your mother supportive of kind of the change in how you were looked and how you were carrying yourself and also this new plan of, okay, I'll get my education, but I really, really want to get back to Israel? Yeah, she was supportive, but she has always felt that whatever I'm doing, I should be a productive member of society. So besides for getting the education and getting the bachelor's degree and the master's degree, even when I went back to Israel, if she was going to help support, I had to go into like a smicha program or something where I would come out with skills or knowledge that I could be a productive member of society. Uh, so she was supportive, but she was very, very cautious and deliberate in how she felt this path should go. So what did you end up doing then in terms of the education when you came back? Where did you go to school? What did you study? I went to Landers for my undergrad. 
I was there for, I got credits from being in yeshiva in Israel, so I was there for about two years, um, and then I went to, actually went to Columbia for my social work degree, and I say actually because I was basically dressed as a full yeshiva student in the social work school at Columbia, which was, I don't know if it was a first for them, but it was extremely rare, um, and it was uncomfortable at times, but that was the, the decision that I had made. And so what did you plan to be? post undergrad graduate what do you think you were going to be and you had this plan that you were going to do whatever it was but back in Israel yeah so i got a degree in psychology in landers and decided i wanted to go into social work i wanted to my main goal was to learn i wanted to learn for as long as possible but i said to myself you know 20 years down the road when it's time to to get a job when my family needs the support i'll go work as a social worker or doing therapy or or something like that in israel that was my plan so right literally right, i graduated with my social work degree in May, I want to say of 2012, and in August I was back on a plane to Israel. Doing what? Uh, I was going to the Mir. I was going to the Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim just a few months later. That was, that was the plan from when I went back to New York, and four or five years later, right after I finished, I got right back on a plane. Now, I said something in the introduction about you becoming from twice, so the way your story is progressing, it would seem like it's all laid out and everything's going to work out perfectly, but I would imagine something happens that puts a little twist in your story at this point. Is, is this where it happens? It happened soon after I got to the mirror. When I had gotten to the mirror, again, this was on the pretense that I was going to be in a smicha program, a rabbinic ordination program, and I was signed up for this program that was kind of being run through the mirror in the afternoon, but I still needed to be enrolled in the mirror for the morning seder and for night seder and get chavrusas and, and be, you know, in an actual shear. So when I got there, this was the year after of Nussan Svi Finkel had passed away, and they were starting to change some of the rules and the acceptance. It used to be you can just kind of show up there and you'd get accepted, no problem. Now it was a little bit more. Uh, it was a little bit more of a process, and things were a little bit more official. So when I showed up, I went to get registered, and they told me I had to go wait online to get tested by the Rosh Hashiva, the new Rosh Hashiva. So I said okay. So I went online, a line of 100 students, whatever it was. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and there's this rabbi walking down the line with a list with checkboxes with names. And he says, and he's going through everybody's list and he uh, name and he comes to me and he says, what's your name? And I said, I'll tell you my name, but I could tell you for sure I'm not on that list. <laughs> and he said, he said, what's your name? So I said, Corey Kleinman. And he's looking through his list and I'm not on the list. And he said, okay. He goes, listen, he goes, did you register in Brooklyn before you came? And I said, I did not. And he goes, okay. He goes, well, unfortunately, we can't accept you for this Zman. Apply in Brooklyn, and you can come back for the next Zman. Now, at this point, I had literally thrown my whole life. I wasn't planning on coming back to New York. So I literally thrown my whole life into two suitcases and came to Israel on a one-way ticket. Going back to New York was not really an option. So I said to this rabbi, I said, can I talk to you outside for a second? <laughs> so he, he took me outside, and I said to him, I said, look, I said, I didn't know I had to do this. I put my life into two suitcases last week, and I came here on a one-way ticket to learn in the mirror. I said, is there anything we can do? And I remember he looked at me, and just his first question, he said, do your parents know you're here? (laughs) And I said, yes. I said, my parents know I'm here. That's not the issue. I just didn't know I needed to go through this process. So he looks at me, and he goes, okay, one second. He goes back in for a minute. He comes back out, and he gets me, and he cuts the whole line and brings me to the Rosh Hashiva, says something to him in Yiddish. And that's it. I went in for my exam right then. I learned a little bit of Gemara with the Rosh Hashiva, and that was it. I was accepted. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a wacky start over there. 
But that still doesn't answer the question of what happens at the tables turn on your feelings about religion. Yeah, that's true. That doesn't answer the question. So basically, everything was going well. I was learning. I was very happy. And five, six months in, there was an incident that just got things turning in my brain. The winter was coming, and I went to wherever it was, and I bought myself a black sweatshirt. And I came back, walked back to the mirror, and I put this sweatshirt on in my Dira, and somebody said to me, why are you wearing a sweatshirt? And I said, it's cold. And he said, yeah, but like, you're not really going to wear a sweatshirt in the base medrash. It really wears like a sweatshirt. It's more of a laid back look. And I thought to myself, oh, he's right. And then I thought to myself, wait a second, what's wrong with a sweatshirt? And that really started to get some wheels turning in my head that maybe this wasn't the right lifestyle for me. It may work for a lot of people, but maybe it wasn't right for me. So that was kind of the beginning of of getting things in motion that maybe this wasn't the right path after all this time. When you say maybe it's not the right path, you mean to be that religious or to be orthodox at all? So at the time, it was just to be that religious. Once that got the wheels turning in my head, I started asking a lot of questions. And I wasn't thrilled with the answers that I was getting. I was asking a lot of, why do we do this? Why is the custom this in in these circles? A lot of the answers I was getting was just very kind of simple. This is how they did it in Europe. And it just wasn't really speaking. Again, my search was always for truth and it just wasn't coming out for me. I just wasn't finding it. And I started to, I remember I went to Manny's in Meisharim and I picked up a couple of books that uh, are more modern Orthodox books. And I remember sitting in my dira and reading them. One of them, probably my favorite book to this day, was Halachic Man by Rosalovechik, and by far probably the best book I've ever read. And I remember just writing notes throughout the entire thing. And it was just a world that was so amazing, a Jewish world that was so amazing and a hashkafa that I had never encountered. And I just sat back and I thought to myself, maybe Haredi Judaism isn't really what speaks to me. Maybe that's not the path that I want to go down now that I know that there's other hashkafas and other orthodox paths out there that seem to be very legitimate. And I started, I had a good friend who was in YU at the time, and I remember emailing him questions. I had to walk up, you know, 20 minutes to the internet cafe. I had like a list of 10 big questions that I emailed him, and I would walk back every week to see how many he had answered and blah, blah, blah. It was a whole process. And I just remember him answering these questions that I was asking, and he was just giving me answers that just seemed very authentic and very real and very true, mixing history and hashkafa and halacha, answers that I wasn't really getting. And I started to realize that I don't think this Haredi life is the right one for me. So at that point, you said you were about five or six months into the program. Do you make a decision to leave or do you just stick with the program because you committed to it? What do you do next? At that point, I decided I needed to leave, but I wasn't really sure what my exit strategy was. I remember having discussions with my mother that this isn't working for me anymore and I need to come home and that I will continue, you know, rabbinic ordination, smicha studies at home, but I just, I couldn't be in the Haredi world anymore. Um, I just wasn't connecting with it anymore and I needed to find something else that would work for me. And when you're, when you're in that world and you're, you're in, you know, the mirror, I was living in Beis Yisrael in the back of Meisharim, like, it's almost like a feeling of being stuck. And I just remember feeling like I just, I had to go, I had to go. And eventually I did. I packed my life back into two suitcases and I flew back to New York. Did you talk to that rabbi at all who had brought you into the program in the first place that you were now planning to leave? No, 
I only saw him, I think, once or twice after that day. So no, I didn't tell him. But I told a lot of my friends who I had made in the mirror that I was going. Everybody was very supportive. And I told a couple of the Rebame, and it was, yeah, it was just, it was time to go. It just wasn't working for me anymore. And when you decide that it's not working and that there might be other levels that you could be at, like how far off of that platform did you go when you came back home? Were you still Orthodox? Did you go so far as thinking, maybe I don't even want to be Orthodox and maybe conservative was where I should have been? Where did you land when you got home? Yeah. So when I came back, I was planning on being Orthodox. I figured I'll find my place in Orthodoxy, but I was planning on being Orthodox. As I sat down to try to figure that out, I kind of rehashed my life to that point, And I said, well, let, let's see here. I said, Reform Judaism didn't work out for me. I didn't find it there. Conservative Judaism didn't work out for me. I didn't find it there. The modern Orthodox world, I guess you could say, what I was growing up in in high school, that I went away from to be Haredi. That didn't work out for me. Haredi Judaism didn't work out for me. I got nothing else. Where, where else am I going to go at this point? And it was kind of at that point where I said, I don't know, maybe none of them are correct. And I kind of sat down and I said, I don't even know what I believe anymore because everything I've tried in Judaism, I, I never felt like it was working for me. I'm always searching for something else, always searching for something else. And I emailed this good friend of mine in NYU and I told him kind of my feeling, kind of basically what I just told you. And he said to me, I hear you. And I had told another friend too, and they basically both said to me, you might feel like you haven't found your place in Judaism, but it could be that your place in Judaism, in Orthodox Judaism anyway, doesn't exist yet. That you're searching for something that maybe isn't there and you need to create it for yourself. But at the time I was so, I was just not ready for that. <laughs> and at the time I was like, I don't even know what I believe. I don't even know if I believe in God because I couldn't find him anywhere. And at that point, I started reading a lot of atheism books. I started reading a lot of books about Judaism, a lot of books about proofs for God. There was a span there where I would say a few months where I, you could probably classify me as like agnostic. I really didn't have any interest in being religious on any level. For a large chunk of those months, I really didn't believe in God. And I was just kind of lost. I didn't know what, <laughs> I didn't know what the next step for me was going to be. And did you, during that time period, stop going to shul, stop keeping Shabbos? Like the things that you had learned and were doing in practice for all those years, you gave them up as you were doing this searching cycle? I went through the motions. Mm -hmm. I didn't, uh, you know, call my mother and say, you know, I'm done. You know, I, you know, I still uh, continued to come for Shabbos. I went to shul. I did, um, you know, everything. But I really, it was with nothing in my heart. I just did not connect to anything anymore. And... I just really didn't believe anymore at that point. I, I felt like there was nothing to believe in. Do you feel like maybe you had gone through the steps a little too fast and you kind of slingshotted back? Like you hear these stories of, particularly someone like you starting at Reform, it may seem like a long time period, like maybe this was over the course of 10 years, but it's really not that long to go from Reform like all the way to end up at the mirror. Like, do you feel like you had this like slingshot back at that point? Like it was too much too soon for you? I don't know if it would be too much too soon, because again, it was years in between, I guess, each denomination. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if it was too soon, but I was young. And I don't think I really delved into things on an intellectual level in my search for 
for God and in, in truth and in Torah. A lot of it was very feelings-based, what I interpreted as, as spirituality. I was searching for things and I was going after my heart, which you can do, but you also have to have the intellectual uh, capacity along with that. So I don't know if it was a matter of going too quickly, but I don't think I factored everything in, I guess you could say, as I was going through this journey. And since I said in the introduction that you became from twice, I have to believe that you found your way out of how you were feeling and got back to some level of feeling comfortable being observant. So what's that story of coming out of being maybe an atheist to being religious again? A lot of reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of reading, a lot of debating. Again, this one particular friend of mine, I'd meet him a couple times a week and we would go back and forth and he he would challenge me on everything of everything I was reading. There were a few key things I couldn't get past in the atheist books. And I said to myself, there's enough here that I do believe in God. There were certain arguments um, that were being made against the existence of God that I wasn't really buying into. And there were certain arguments being made on the other side for God and for Judaism that I thought were very strong. And at the end of the day, I said to myself, I do believe in God and I do believe that this is real. And then, again, it came back to, okay, so how is this going to manifest inside me? What am I going to do about this? Which leads us to the obvious next question. <laughs> what did you do about this? Yes. So at that point, I decided that I was going to become more religious, but very cautiously. I read books about Reform Judaism, about Conservative Judaism, you know, about the foundations, about what the real hashkafas were, why each denomination does what it does. And at the end of the day, I decided that Orthodox Judaism was probably the closest to what I am looking for. In terms of a hashkafa that I guess nowadays that I've developed, I, I don't necessarily think I fit into anything specific. I identify, somebody asks me, what are you? I say Orthodox. I, you know, I believe in God. I believe he gave the Torah. I believe that we should be practicing what the Shulchan Aruch says. And I decided that that was the best path for me. But to be honest, it's always evolving and it's always changing. You know, as I encounter new things and new ideas come up, I'm very open and I'm willing to read anything. I'm willing to debate anything. I'm very open and I just want to get the bottom line is, as I've said throughout the, this whole um, interview, the, the bottom line is I just want to get to the truth. I just want to live the most authentic life that I can. And the one thing we haven't talked about yet is where in this journey of coming back to Orthodox Judaism and feeling comfortable, does a special someone come into your life and what's her background compared to yours? Yeah, so after I started to become religious again and you know I was comfortable in the Orthodox world, I met my wife who was her parents were Bali Chuva, but she was born and raised uh, religious and she's always been extremely supportive. If I, you know, bring up something about, you know, about Judaism or the Torah, then I'm like, mm, I need to, I need to know more about this. I'm not, I'm not sure about this. There's, there's something bigger going on here. We need to delve into this a little bit more. You know, I'm not ready to just take this at face value. She's always right there, always pushing me to go down those paths that I feel are, are right. And you came to an understanding, given your background versus hers, of like the kind of family you want to have, how you wanted to raise kids. Um, yeah, yeah, we're very much on the same page. We want to give them Orthodox Jewish values. But again, I'm I, my main goal is to try to instill in them this idea that you got to push and you got to look into things and you can't just take things on face value. When I read something in a Jewish book or in a halacha sefer, 
and it's something that I'm not familiar with, it's just too hard for me to take it on face value. I got to delve into it. I got to understand what's going on. That's something that I'm going to try to give over to my children, this idea of always wondering, of always learning, of always pushing, of always trying to be, you know, your most authentic self. And to be honest, even if that means that you don't fit into a mold, you got to go with what your heart and what your mind tell you. And so what are you now doing career-wise, and where did you settle as a family to raise your kids? Um, I'm working in healthcare. I ended up going back and getting another master's degree in healthcare quality improvement. My wife's from Los Angeles, uh, so we lived in Los Angeles for a little while after we got married. Uh, and then we moved to Fairlawn, New Jersey, uh, where we currently live. Uh, we're very happy uh, in Fairlawn. And it's a community that I feel I can be myself in. You know, I can ask questions. I can delve into things. I don't have to fit into any particular box. It's been very welcoming and very uh, inclusive here of, of different ideas. So as somebody who's clearly always seeking and looking and wanting the truth, what's your focus over the next few years now that you've found what you're doing career-wise, you found where you want to raise a family, what's next for you? Career-wise, I like where I'm heading. I just want to keep growing, um, being able to take, learning more about the, the business, being able to take on more responsibility. Judaism-wise, um, I'm slowly trying to work my way through Shas. Um, <laughs> I was fortunate to finish Shas Mishnayos once. I'm close to finishing it again, God willing, soon. And just trying to understand as much as I can. I was actually recently just at the YU Svarim sale a couple of nights ago, and there's a whole wall of Rosalovichik books. And I was just like so much here I need to know, you know, there's so much to delve into. So it's really for me just a, a life of learning and understanding and just trying to find authenticity. That's a lifelong search of mine. The last question I have for you, you're the first person that I've interviewed who has spent significant time at almost every level of Judaism. So when somebody comes up to you who's on their own journey, you can really speak to what it's like being Reformed, Conservative, Orthodox, going further in Orthodox. Like, how would you counsel someone who's trying to find their own place, given the journey you had to do to find a comfortable place for yourself. A person has to be, I really truly feel that a person has to be truthful with themselves and they need to go down a path that they really feel is the best path for them. And if they really research into what they're trying to find and they intellectually and emotionally believe that something speaks to them, even if it's atheism or even if it's conservative Judaism, you know, if it's Orthodox Judaism, that's great. But I think a person needs to just go with what speaks to them. On some level, that is what Hashem wants as well. I don't think Hashem just wants puppets who are, you know, just showing up to shul and just going through the motions and just davening because they're supposed to daven, keeping Shabbos because they're supposed to keep Shabbos. I, he wants people who are thinking about what they're doing, who are struggling with what they are doing, who are trying to understand better what they are doing and why they're doing it, even at the expense of maybe taking a few years and saying, you know, I don't know if I believe in this at all, and working through that and wrestling with that and struggling through that. So my advice to somebody who's really kind of trying to figure themselves out and figuring out where they fit into all of this in terms of Judaism and God is that don't be afraid and go with your gut and do what speaks to you and you'll find yourself on the right path. I can tell from talking to you that you have found your way to an authentic Judaism that speaks to you and that I will never be interviewing you about a third time that you became from. I think you have found your place. So Corey, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you for having me. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit TachlisMedia.com. 
That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at TachlisMedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.